John chapter 13 for tuning in online. Welcome to uh, Little Sandy Baptist Church, 36569 State Route 3307, Greenup, Kentucky. Uh, and we would delight to have you worship with us if you do not have a regular church home of your own. John chapter 13, 31 to 38. John 13, 31 to 38. John 13. I had thought I'd heard of pastors taking a long time to work through a book of the Bible. I just was reading, uh, I said, I got a new book on Job, and I was reading just the preface, and one man spent was it 40 or 44 years going through Job. 40 to, at least 40 years, at least 40 years he spent going through Job. And I thought, wow, that is a long time. Uh, anyway, I, I don't think that our, we may have one, but it won't be quite 40 years, I don't think. You have, I'll have lost you at year, uh, year one, probably, after year one, if, I, if I'm going that long. John chapter 13, 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now he being Judas, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway immediately glorify him. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you, ye seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you, now, by the way, if you skip ahead to 14.1, it fits right in there, if you, with my thinking, let not your heart be troubled. They're so concerned, my little children, let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God. Back to 13.34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Simon Peter, obviously listening to the ongoing things going on, said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down my life for thy sake? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, the cock or rooster shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Peter did not know his heart. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Next few moments, Lord, guide and direct my words and thoughts. Thank you for each one who's chosen to be here today. May we glean from your word what you'd have for us as we think about at the end service. May we be clay moldable by you to be used for your honor and your glory or may our ambition be to hear well done thou good and faithful servant for servant of yours and so bless the time today with those teaching downstairs lord forgive me of sin empty me of self and please fill me with your spirit today in jesus name i pray these things amen first of all there's three points uh well usually there's three or four but the clearing of the leaven this is a homemade outline, but uh, I think you'll see that the clearing of the leaven. Of course, the leaven is Judas. And we see the going, first of all, in verse 31. Therefore, when he, Judas Iscariot, had gone out. I think we could almost, if we had a video of this, almost a sigh of relief when Judas leaves. The expression there, he was gone out. It underlines the voluntary act of Judas. Did Jesus know what he's going to do? Yes, but Judas made the choice. He made a volitional choice to betray Christ. In the last analysis, God does not send people to hell. They choose to ignore the price paid at Calvary and go to hell because 
They've chosen to do so. They may not mentally say, I want to do that. But by rejecting Christ, it's either or. There's only either he is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything else is a false way. God endorses the decisions people make. So that is the going. Secondly, there is the glorifying in 31b. And Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. I think the atmosphere must have been quite different, purged. Look what it says in 1327. And, uh, and after the, after the sup, and if the glasses on here, and after the sup, G, Satan entered into him. For Satan to enter into Judas in the upper room, he had to be close. Now the disciples could not see him, but could not Jesus see Satan there close to Judas? So I'm thinking when Judas left, wow, whoo. Now, the disciples didn't realize what had just happened per se, but Jesus did. So he says here, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, the departure of Judas, I think, marked a crisis, a turning point. Jesus is going to the cross. This is the Last Supper. He's going to be crucified in a short time. Doesn't have long. Matter of fact, the cock's going to crow, will not crow until Peter's denied Christ this very night, three times. Now, on one level, the cross is the epitome of humiliation and shame. There was no worse way to die to be, and basically, we cannot show that. I cannot show that exactly what Christ looked at, and I would not want to see it. They were naked, completely naked, and, we, and often they were very close to the road, so people could walk by and see them, just the absolute humiliation and suffering. And so often they died from suffocation, not from the wounds in the hands or the feet. It's like they had to keep raising up. And every time you raised up with your hips, you can imagine the pain that was born every single breath. And so many died of suffocation rather than even, the, and Christ was even, everything done to Christ was so illegal, but it just the huge Wrongness. I can say it that way. The huge wrongness. Mankind at mankind's absolute worst to crucify the Maker, our Maker. The, the cross is the epitome of humiliation, a public spectacle. To glorify God is also to magnify or display His perfect attributes. So now at the cross, God's love, righteousness, justice, and mercy, however, and grace were magnified as at no other occasion. At the cross, God's justice was met. The only way you're going to heaven is to have your sins paid for. God is a just God, and every one of your sin has to be paid for. Not the big ones, the small ones, the little ones, the, the large ones, the whatever one you want. This, they're all sin. They've all got to be paid for. God's righteousness demands it. Is there any way you could ever pay for them? No. Jesus, but he paid for them at Calvary. One pastor says this, How was there glory in the cross? There Jesus performed the greatest work in the history of the universe. In his death he brought to pass the salvation of damned sinners, destroyed sin, and defeated Satan. He paid the price of God's justice. In dying for sin, he rendered his life a sweet-smelling savor to God, a sacrifice more pure and blessed than any other sacrifice ever offered. And when the offended justice of God and the broken law were fully satisfied, Jesus concluded his work by saying, Tetelestai, it is finished. It was done. There's no way you and I can add on to our salvation. What an audacious thing to think that my works or my giving or obeying the sacraments or doing this or or giving to the church or joining a church, or that's going to add to my salvation. No, it is done. 32. 
If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. The Lord saw beyond the dark valley to the glory-filled peaks, if you would, beyond. He saw the rainbow and the storm clouds. Golgotha was not the end. Glory. Oh, that will be glory for him it was. Oh, that will be glory for me, the songwriter said. Now is the Son of Man glorified. The first man, Adam, came and he forfeited, forfeited the right, dominion because of sin. The second man, the second Adam, Christ came to reinstitute or to re-give us or to win back all that Adam had lost. I was listening to the briefing, as I do every day pretty much. This past Friday, a seven-year-old from Senegal wrote to Dr. Moeller and had this question, why did God place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, knowing that Adam and Eve would sin? And Dr. Moeller's response was something, I don't know exact word for word, but here it is. The base, this is a basic Christian answer found in Scripture, and we have to look at it, the entire Scripture, this Bible theology, he said. God in his sovereignty determined that he would bring himself greater glory and show human beings a greater form of love by redeeming us as sinners from our sin through Jesus Christ than if in the garden he, we had never known him as the one who has saved us from our sin. The reformer John Calvin said, in the garden, had human beings never sinned, we would only know God as creator and that would be glorious. But in the church, we know God as creator and as redeemer, and that is infinitely more glorious. He didn't just make you. He saved you, and he's redeemed you from a crisis eternity in a place called hell. And whatever God does is right. If God has done it, it's right. That's why he did it. He put the tree because it was the right thing to do, that we might have salvation. He not only made us, he has redeemed us. What an amazing truth that is. Back in John 13, 32, we find that G, the reverse, I believe, to Jesus' resurrection and ascension, 13, 32, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him, going to raise him from the dead. The resurrection was God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. If God had not raised Jesus, well, he didn't, complete the job or it wasn't but he did he raised him from the dead and at once and for all is done there's no more need of a a sacrifice there's no more need of a mass for the dead when it refers to christ i serve the risen savior he's in the world today i know that he is leaving whatever man may say that is true and how do i know it i know it number one because the bible says so and number two he lives within my heart the holy spirit who is controlling all things with Jesus and the Father, actually lives in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. Why does, it, why does it work that way? Well, the Holy Spirit lives in us because Jesus now has taken a form like us. He has an eternal body. How could that eternal body fit in every single else? They can't do that, but... The Holy Spirit, who is a spirit, can inhabit every Christian. And that's how Jesus lives in us. Because the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are in perfect harmony together. One God, three persons, Trinitarian view of who God is. Back to the upper room. 
The departure of Judas then heralded also the departure of Jesus. He was on his way home. Now the road is going to be steep. It's going to be rough. Matter of fact, the road is covered over at a certain junction up there. There is the, the cross stands astride the way to glory. So often today in our days, we want the crown before the cross. We want to be some big name person. I was, I was telling someone just yesterday about the pastor that we're going to hear in a couple of weeks. Pastor Brog, he'd been at the church 30 years. His church is a humongous church. He's been to Ukraine 40 times. He can speak Greek and he can speak Hebrew. And he, and he has all these things. Oh, my goodness gracious. He's like, wow. He's like, if you're a basketball player, look at, there's LeBron. Or Michael Jordan, look, oh, I want to be. And that's like, wow, he's, wow, the little ministry he has. But then I said, you know what? The Lord has called him to that. He's called me to something else. And he's called you to what he has you to do. Be a husband. Serve God first. Be the husband you should be. Raise your children the best you can with God's help. And then if he gives you a ministry beyond that, wahoo, woohoo. But if you are a successful Christian husband raising your uh, children, loving your wife right, and serving God first, I think you're success. My personal opinion. That's the highest calling. God, wife, children. And when you do that, with God's help, the best of your ability, I really believe we very well could hear, well done, thou faithful servant, just for that. Now, if God gives you a ministry, teaching or helping or praying, you know, well, we're all praying, but a ministry, well, that's great. But that should not supersede God first, husband next, father next. I, I, but so many pastors, evangelists across our nation over the past decades have forgotten that, I believe. Now, we need evangelists. We need people, but we, God should never be supplanted by the ministry. And that's, to me, mostly, it's <laughs> the truth. We find that Jesus is going to depart. He's going to, go, he's going to go back to glory. He's on his way back now. So that's the going, the glorifying. And 33, I see a little bit of gentleness. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Little children, it's the only time used in the gospel. Gospel is the only time it's used elsewhere is John. The disciple whom Jesus loved, as he called himself. Little children, my little children, what a wonderful thing. We can picture the despair. You wonder why we have John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Look at the despair in 13. He's going away. We can't follow him. What's going to happen? And they're probably maybe starting to think, something's happening here we've not been ready for. Something's happening here. And the tender feelings, and he reminded them also, he'd already told the Jews that they would seek him and could not find him. He's going to go away. Now they will eventually, Peter, you're going to eventually get there, but not with him now. He's going to go, he must tread this Via Dolorosa all the way to Calvary by himself. That's the clearing of the leaven, the command to love. Secondly, there's a preacher was, was, was giving a class, and he said, now, everybody, what do you do with the, a commandment when you find it in the Bible? What do you do with a commandment? And one lady says, I underline it in blue. Okay, after you underline it in blue, then what do you do with the commandment? Now, see, that, it's fine to underline all the commandments in blue, but what do you do with them? I have directions. I have a pile of directions for different things in my house. doesn't mean I've read them. But I mean, they're there in case it would ever happen, the need to refer to them. The commandments, it is more than just simply knowing what the commandment is. I'm reading through this book, by the way, if you want some light reading, <clears throat> uh, Holiness by J.C. Ryle. He comments on these verses. He says, a sanctified man will try to do good in the world and to lessen the sorrow and increase the happiness all around him. 
He will aim to be like his master, full of kindness and love to everyone. And this not in word only by calling people dear, but by deeds and actions and self-denying work according as he has opportunity. In other words, it's not simply about saying, it's about doing. What are we doing about God's commands? First of all, that under commandment to love, I see priority in 34. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. It doesn't mean that they never loved him. He's raising the bar. Now you love as I have loved you. That's how we are to love. Historically, Christians have displayed a number of kinds of symbols. There's the, the fish symbol uh, used from yesteryear today. We have lapel pins and, and neck chains and crosses, etc. One pastor says, in recent years, bumper stickers, posters, t-shirts, decorated Bibles, and jackets with embroidered insignia all have been used by people trying to identify themselves as Christians. He says, I don't have any argument with such symbols except that they are totally superficial, only as deep as the surface on which they are attached. As a Christian, whether you wear a button, display a bumper sticker, or use any other kind of visible symbol, is no real consequence. In fact, he says, the way some Christians drive, they would do well advised to take their bumper stickers off. More important and infinitely more definitive than all the pins, he says, and stickers and buttons, are the internal spiritual signs of a true believer. End of quote. That's from John MacArthur, you know, MacArthur Commentary. That's, but that is it. it it's, if you want to wear them, fine. I've said before, if you're not living the life, take down your Christian flag until you're ready to walk with God and follow him. Because if, if I am not, but if I am not living as I should, I'm going to cause more detriment to the cause of Christ than good. It was Schaefer in his book called The Marks of the Christian said there are two things a Christian needs to show Christ's love. First of all, they can do so, show Christ's love by being willing to apologize and seek forgiveness from those they have wronged. What causes the sharpest, most bitter disputes in the body of Christ are not doctrinal differences, but the unloving manner in which those differences are handled. Being willing to apologize to those whom you have offended is crucial to preserving the unity of the body of Christ. And the second thing that manifests God's love is to grant forgiveness. In light of the eternal forgiveness that comes through the cross, Christians should be eager to, eager to forgive the temporal offenses committed against them. How, tr those are two good things to show that we are walking with God. The Greek word new implies freshness or the opposite of outworn rather than simply uh, uh, different. It was Christ says to love in a new special way. Extend the love. Tertullian reports now, this would be like the second century after Christ or first century of his day that, uh, that the Christians, that they said, wow, see how they love one another. The people, the pagans said, wow, see how they love one another. And that was what the purpose was. They would go beyond. A much more simple illustration is when I had my first class at the Green Up Senior Center with the computers a couple weeks ago. The whole purpose of the class down the road is to get them comfortable using com computers where they get them out and use them for their own purposes and enjoy them. And it wasn't but two days later, they had them out and they were on their own. And they sent me a picture. Here, it's a hit. That's it. But they, this is it. Love. It's beyond what you normally do. Get, what God wants from us is His love shown to other people. He said, Pastor, I, I don't know if I can... You can't do it here on your own. You must have Christ living in you. 
The fact that only he commands us to love one another means what? You can do it. And you could command me to run up and down this hill without stopping 30 times. That would be a very bad command because I would die the first 100 feet going up probably. Uh, of a severe heart. I'm done, gone. But if he says, love one another as I have loved you, it's possible with him. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Big difference between your command to make me try to get me to run up and down the hill 30 times without dying and him saying to us, love one another as I have loved you. What a difference. But just as Jesus obediently sacrificed himself to go to the cross for our salvation, we are to obediently sacrifice ourselves for other, the ultimate good of others. Well, husbands might say to a counselor, but Mr. Counselor, I don't love my wife anymore. We're going to separate. But he would say back to them, the wedding vow is not for as long as you both shall love. For as long as you both shall live. Live. The biblical command to husbands is to love your wives. If you do not love your wife, you are being disobedient. I'm just saying what the Bible says. The Bible says that. Matter of fact, you can hold your finger there in case you're wondering that where did the pastor get that from? John chapter 15, uh, Ephesians 5, please. Ephesians 5 for just a moment. Hold your finger there in John. It's like Dr. John Phillips. I'm going through his commentary, and he'll make a statement. I say, where in the world did he get that from? Surely. And every time I go there, it was, oh. Oh, it's right, right there. It's right there. He was right all along. And uh, there we go. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 5, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. But pastor, look back at 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Yes, but five times it tells husbands to love their wives. I tell you honestly, husbands, I said it before. I'll say it again till the cows come home. If you are loving your Christian wife as Christ of the church, Christian mother or Christian wives will be happy most. I've never seen one not happy with staying with their husband. If you are doing what you're supposed to do, husband, the wife will see it and then respond. The Christian wife responds to that by telling you, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you know, that's going to cause a lot of problems. You say, but pastor, you're putting it on the husband. Yes, I know exactly where I'm putting the, the emphasis on. It's we, husbands. If you're loving the wife as Christ loved the church, I can, if a wife's seeking the honor of the Lord, she'll have no problem following you. I'm not saying you're being dictatorial and demanding. I'm saying you're loving her as Christ loved the church. Big difference between that and being a dictator and everything. But pastor, I, I don't have any good feelings toward my wife anymore. All the years of anger and bitterness have just drained the feelings of love I once had. I'm telling you, it's more an action to be learned than a feeling to be felt. It's sort of like, if you've ever seen the, the four spiritual laws track, tracked, they have the engine, they have the coal car, which is called faith, engine is God's word, the coal car is called faith, and the caboose is called feelings. And as long as you have your faith in the word of God, it runs fine. But you try to put that feeling car in the front and drive your train with feelings, it just does not work. We have our faith, not in the feelings. And when we put our faith in God's word, the train engine, the feelings come right along after. When we do it the right way, our faith 
in God and his word, then the feeling comes. Just three weeks ago on Wednesday night, we had a missionary who met his wife face to face the very first time the day they got married. Still together. I think it was 18 years. Been together 18 years. Serving the Lord in India. First time. Oh, but pastor, that's such a terrible way. Let me ask you, back to the Bible, how often did we, the wife or husband was chosen for, or God directed for, Isaac saw Rebecca when she was coming to marry him. She lit off the camel. <laughs> that's her how she jumped off. Anyway, she gets off the camel, and he, oh, who is that? Oh, here he comes. Put her veil on, and wow. I'm not sure how long it was between that and they got married. I don't think it was a long time at all. When God is in, if you see, we have to put God first. God's, the word's the train. The faith is the coal car. And the feelings come after that. And they will come. Love means being committed to the person's highest good. That's what agape love is. It's, it's what best helps my wife. What am I doing that helps her to grow spiritually? And I say, that's a humbling thought, men. And men to be married eventually, soon, Whatever. That what I am doing, how is it helping my wife? I'm pointing that direction because she's sitting there. How is it helping my wife? I tell you, I've blown it so many times I can't even count. How are we helping our wives to grow spiritually? Husband's love for his wife should be sanctifying her to become more and more like whom? Like Christ. The only way men are going to do it is when it's a little triangle. Jesus up here, God's up here, and here's the husband, here's the wife. And as they go closer to God, they grow closer to each other. That's how it works. Closer to God. The priority, command of love, the permeating. 35, by this you all men know you're my disciples. If you have love, one to another. The badge of true discipleship. It's not doctrinal purity. Badge of true discipleship is not singing the right hymns or music. It's not in rituals. It's not in ordinances. It's not even in soul winning zeal. It's not in faithfulness. It's not being faithful to church. All those things are important. What is the badge of your Christianity that we know your disciples, if you have what? Love. Love. Agape love. Self-sacrificing love. When they see that, they'll say, hey, there's a Christian. Sadly, churches are known more often for fighting and divisions. I'm thankful for our good spirit here at our church. I thank the Lord for that. Not every day, but I should. Thank the Lord for our spirit of unity together. Back in the 70s, some church growth gurus observed that Christians like to go to church with others like themselves. So perhaps whites with whites, African-Americans with African-Americans, uh, Asians with Asians, Koreans with Koreans, rich college graduates with other rich college graduates. Rednecks do not like to go to church with long-haired liberals who favor gun control. Net rednecks use long-haired liberals for target practice. I'm not commending that, but... So the church growth guru said you want a homogeneous unit. You've got to find people who look just like they are and work toward getting them all together. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Church, outside of Chicago, Jihugic Church. For 40 years, he had this, it's a seeker-sensitive movement. He was like one of the really, started a seeker. And you, so what, what does that mean? It means that, I'd go to Chris. I'd say, Chris, now what do you want in the church? I want football scores on the wall. Okay, Lena, what do you want? I would like to have a. Uh, I would like to have cafe lattes downstairs. Dave, what do you want? I want fishing t tips on the wall. Cheryl, I want some sleep. I'm about to hit back there. I want. I want a place where I can lay in a recliner. Can you get recliners or something so I can this? And, and then Becky, what does she want? Uh, she wants. I hear some some good good gospel music I listen to while I'm working, and I can't go by everybody. But that's just this. 
And so they, they decide, what do you want? I want to I want to be able to do this, do that. I want it to look just like a mall. I want it to have the exact same music I hear in my earbuds all day long. And that's the secret. Make it just like, so when they walk into the church, wow, this looks just like, oh, I like it. And he said, the guy who started it 40 years later says, it's not worked. We have people who are a mile wide and inch deep. We have no true disciples. We are not making true disciples because we made it so easy. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. I'm not calling you. I'm telling you, if you're here without Christ, I'm not calling you to the easiest thing in the world to do. Eat an ice cream sundae with, I'm not calling you to that. I'm not calling you to anything. The Lord is calling you to come out and to serve him. The only peaceful and that, now, you're going to have difficulties, but the only way to have peace of heart and mind, I'm doing what God has asked me to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? That peace that passes understanding. I'm putting him first. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. It means he's always there through our problems. So the, the clearing of the leaven, that would be Judas, the command to love, by the way, this idea of a seeker-sensitive uh, church is really contrary to Scripture. I want to read this before I go to the third point. And I know what time it is, so I, I really watch the time back there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Now, rather than seeker-sensitive, what does the Bible say to this idea? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Whether he's a Jew or a Gentile, whomever, we are to go to the world. God is not what you can only go to the people that fall into the category. No, we are to share with whomever God brings by our path. There is but one church, truly born again believers. That's the church he died for, coming for. Thirdly, there's the courage that would be lacking in 36. Back to our text, John. Peter has been taking all this all in. You know, I, I wonder why Peter didn't know more. But remember when Jesus dipped the sop and gave it to Judas and said, what you do quickly, I don't know how loud he said that. Peter could have been, he's at least one man away from that. Because there was, he's at least one man away, I believe. So he may not have heard exactly what Jesus said. So when Judas goes out, well, Judas is the only Gal, uh, Judean, where all of us are Galileans except him, perhaps Jesus is honoring him. Perhaps he's going out to buy some stuff for the meal. Perhaps this, perhaps that. You can read it in the text for yourself from last week. Nothing extraordinary in Peter's mind that Judas left. But this talk about him going away. Now suddenly, what is this? What is this? And the place, 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Jesus understood that Peter could not follow him unto death now, but afterward he would. He's telling you know, for the past six months, I've been telling you I'm going away. He's going to die, that he was going to be raised again. It's starting to perhaps dawn upon them that he is leaving. The Old Testament revelation of the afterlife was by no means as bright as our hope. You talk about, revel, think about just for the moment, the verses you think about eternity in heaven. Oh, uh, uh, he's going, uh, he's going, we're all be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, the, the last trumpet, etc. First Thessalonians 4, we've got uh, John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. I've got 1 Corinthians 15. You see, New Testament, New Testament, New Testament. Now we can go back to Job, but they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't here yet. So, they, so the, the New Testament, we have the enjoyment 
Oh, I love that. Second Corinthians 5.10. We must all be feared before the judgment seat of Christ. Every man may receive the things done in his body, whether it be good or bad. We're going up here, but not for our sin. I love that. And I heard the amens when you said it, Brother Lauderdale, this morning. We won't be judged for our sin. Praise the Lord. But we're still going up here before him. It says in 2 Timothy, Paul reminds him that he had, Jesus had abolished death and had brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's grappling now with the, with the realization dawning up in, what, upon him, what lies beyond death? Where are you going, Jesus? Will I be with you? Can I come to be with you? And perhaps the Lord, I, can you just imagine, Judas has just recently left and the Lord's heart is warmed by Peter wanting to be with him. What a difference, night and day difference between the cold-hearted hate of Judas now indwelt by Satan and Peter who wants to serve him. That's the place. How about the pride? Look at 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Oh, that rascal. He does. By the way, all of them, if you read all of the other 11 said the very same thing, they would do the very same thing. You just read the other text. The word you is plural and the other counts. I will lay down my life for you. He, I think in his moment, he was willing to do that. Hadn't considered the cost. He's coming to grips that he's going to die. I, I, again, from a sermon uh, by Dr. MacArthur, read, regarding Peter, he boasted too much in Luke. Remember, he said, I'm ready to go with thee and be even to put in prison unto death. He prayed too little in Gethsemane. He's sleeping while the master's praying. He acted too fast. When Malchus came up, <laughs> Off with his ear. I think he's trying to take his head off and just missed his head and got his ear. And then he followed too far away. Peter followed far off. And then a servant's girl tongue was more important than an executioner's sword. Oh, I don't, I don't. Woman, I know him not. Uh, this is just a few hours earlier. Not sure exactly. You can put it together and get home if you want. A few hours earlier. Lord, I, I, I'll lay down my life for thee. Pride to place, and then finally, in closing the prophecy, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? And by the way, Peter does not, he loved, I think, Jesus loved Peter's intent. He doesn't condemn him. Peter, do you not know what you just. No, no. Peter just wants you to know the truth. Truly, truly, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The word denied means to deny utterly. Woman, I know him not. The third, the crop crow is the third of the four Roman night watches midway between midnight and dawn. That night, for his all his bold words, Peter would plumb the depths of cowardice. But there's no blame in Jesus' words. Peter, I just, I just, you know what, Peter, I'm just about done with you. I didn't say it that way. He wouldn't even have thought of saying that. But now you and me, let's just be honest. You and me, your coworker or the guy trying to serve under you, and and they keep blowing it and saying things that they don't know me, and they, and, and arrogant. You know, I, I think Department Y could use you. Why are you here? So go over there. You know, I, I'm done with you. You know, can I have somebody different, please, Mister Ball? And, but not Jesus, not Jesus. 
He had nothing but appreciations for Peter's good intent, and he knew better than to count on it, but he, he liked the good intent, and Peter seems to have been so overwhelmed. By the way, we all should be overwhelmed. You're going to deny me thrice that he lapsed into silence. Indeed, I looked through the passage of John, and the next time I see Peter doing something, he's got his sword out and missing the, uh, Malchus's neck and got his ear. Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment, which is in obedience to Jesus shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one that is loved. The parting words of the master. So how are you serving? I was reminded of this poem. I'll share it with you before I pray. The master was searching for a vessel to use. Before him were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I am of great value, and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. For someone like you, master, gold is the best. The master passed on with no word at all and looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear master. I'll pour out your wine. I'll be on your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true, and my silver will certainly compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the vessel of brass, wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel. I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. The master came next to a vessel of wood, polished and carved. It solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you use me for fruit and not for bread. Then the master looked down on a vessel of clay. Empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel the master might use to cleanse and to make, to fill and to use. Oh, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride in itself, nor the narrow to sit on the shelf, nor one that is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor one that displays its contents so proud. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay and mended and cleansed it and filled it that day. He spoke to it kindly. There's work for you must do. Just pour out to others what I pour into you. And that's it. We got to be done with this. I am something. We are nothing without God. And He just wants to use us. Words of departing. He's coming back. Are we being used? I trust that you are. Let's pray. Lord, I want to be used. It brings me to tears, this, this poem. Because I've so often been the gold or the brass or the wooden that didn't, I only want to be used in a certain way or the silver one who thinks there's something better. I'm, we're not. We may think we are, but we're not all those. We are clay. And Lord, by that mean we can be molded if we will be allowed, if we'll allow him to mold us to be used for his glory. Lord, help us this morning. If there's a need, may we respond. I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.